0: Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, episode 171, the first of two shows you'll be getting this week. You can think of this as a nice little bonus episode for the beginning of your week. Today, you'll be hearing my conversation with Frank Ford, an improv comedian, part of the four day weekend comedy group based out of Texas. And you'll be hearing how he got his start into comedy, why his mom was really instrumental in his career. The difference between doing improv and stand up, how Four Day Weekend was founded, and his book, Happy Accidents, the transformative power of yes and at work and in life. And I was fortunate enough to get a copy of the book and read it. Uh, And I will say it's a book that was actually kind of needed for me uh, at this kind of stage that I'm at right now because this is getting a little personal. But, you know, I've been going through a bit of a rough patch as far as, you know, career, personal. really any aspect of life you can think of, I've been struggling with lately. And uh, this book talks about uh, how to lead uh, kind of a a more positive take on life. Instead of just saying no to everything, why not just say yes? You know, the, the yes and is kind of coming up with the idea and then executing it. And, you know, I've had troubles with kind of getting out of my comfort zone. And I think I've talked about this in the past, but Really doing this podcast has kind of helped me get out of my shell as far as being sociable because it forces me to meet new people and talk with people. Uh, There was a line, it was early on in the book, but it really stuck with me because it's something that I really struggled doing. Uh, Saying no rewards you with perceived control, yet impedes progress. Saying yes rewards you with progress, yet forces you to give up control. And that's something that I've had... A very hard time doing for a long time. So uh, definitely check out the book. It's available, you know, on Amazon, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Uh, Definitely check it out. It's called Happy Accidents, the Transformative Power of Yes and at Work and in Life. And speaking of books, before we jump into the conversation with Frank, I have to remind you that today's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience is brought to you by Audible. Sign up for a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek, Derek Diamond, 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 Diamond Experience! Sitting here with my very special guest this week from four-day weekend improv comedian Mr. Frank Ford. Frank, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing very well, Derek. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing good. It's a uh, it's a little chilly here uh, if, where I live in Northwest Florida. We actually had uh, I think the high today was like 32, maybe 33. So we had uh, oh. <laughs> we had this uh, we had a hard freeze warning, and you know the roads were icy and everything. So it was. it's it's always a unique thing whenever you know it gets that cold here
1: yeah well i feel and share your pain because it's been in the 20s here in texas so it's (laughs) my my blood has i grew up in ohio but since i've been in texas uh since 92 you know my blood is thin so i'm not used to this either
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild because, you know, even people who, like I work with some people who aren't originally from here. They're from, you know, the West Coast or, you know, farther south. And they're just, they're, they're having a tough time right now, which is crazy. It's, yeah,
1: I, I, I can imagine. Yeah, this, this cold front is something else.
0: So you mentioned uh, you grew up in Ohio. Uh, what part of Ohio did you grow up in?
1: Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I grew up there and I uh, graduated from The Ohio State University.
0: Awesome and some uh, growing up in Ohio. What were what were some of your interests like? Did you kind of develop this interest for comedy at, at an early age, or was it something that you know came on into adulthood?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. It's different for different people that sort of get into comedy. Everybody's path is different. Uh, but yeah, I was bitten by the comedy bug very early on. I I, I had a knack for uh, mimicking, um, voices. Uh, so I, you know, I was an avid Looney Tunes, uh, watcher and fan. Right. And, and so I uh, watching, uh, the cartoons, I, I would mimic some of the different characters voices. You know, I can thank Mel Blank for that and amongst others. Uh, so I always, I loved, I just loved comedy. I loved humor and, and, and I was good at it. You, you know, I, I was a quiet kid, uh, and, Humor and comedy sort of became my voice, my way to fit in, my way to acclimate to, uh, to my surroundings and, and the people around me. Um, but it was really interesting because there was a, a moment uh, growing up that was sort of a pivotal moment and, and only upon reflection, you know, as an adult, that I realized how important it was. But, uh, you know, there were strict rules in my house, no cursing, no vulgarity, right? And, uh, so what, before I get to that, what I, what I did was I, I remember, you know, being a fan of comedy, watching cartoons. And I remember going through my mom's vinyl record collection. Of course she had, you know, all the musicians and singers she grew up with, like Elvis Presley. And, and in the back of her collection in a box, I found some vinyl comedy albums. Uh, You know, my mom, was listening to, you know, Bob Newhart and Jonathan Winters, amongst others. And I listened to her comedy albums. Well, cut to, you know, I'm maybe uh, 11 years old, you know, 10 or 11 years old. And uh, I took the money I made from my allowance or odd little jobs that I would do, you know, helping stack firewood. Uh, I saved up that money. And then one day uh, I got on my bike and I pedaled my way to the record store and I bought my first comedy album, which was a Steve Martin album. And I brought it home and I had my record player in my room. Now, like I said, uh, there were, was no vulgarity allowed in my house, no cursing. Um, and I was playing, you know, I got by myself, unwrapped the, uh, the, the album, put it on my, my record player, and I was listening to it in my room by myself. Well, on that album, Steve Martin uh, drops an S-bomb. And it just so happened that my mom was bringing laundry up from the basement to my room as <laughs> soon as Steve Martin said it, right? So my mom hears this S-bomb coming out of my, my room, and she says, oh, my God, what are you listening to? What are you listening to, young man? And I realized, oh, no, you know, I, I'm in deep trouble. So I said, okay, Mom, hold on. Wait. I, I can explain. I said, listen, I went through your record collection uh, and I, I know that you like comedy you're a fan of comedy and I listen to some of the, the comedians you listen to and I I went and bought my my own comedy album this is Steve Martin I bought it with the money that I that I saved up and, uh, uh, and if you listen to it and, and you laugh then, then you can't punish me uh, but if you don't laugh I'll accept whatever whatever punishment is you're, you're gonna give me right so I'm negotiating at this age. right well, to my mom's credit She sat down. She said, okay, play it. Well, we sat there, and I started playing the album, and my mom could not help herself. She started to laugh, and then she was laughing more, and we sat there, and we listened to that album together, and and we were just laughing, and I didn't get in trouble, and ever since then, because I'm sure my mom... Saw something in me, that interest in me, when I wanted to stay up and, you know, watch Benny Hill or Monty Python or even Saturday Night Live or, you know, uh, David Letterman or what have you. My mom, she knew that I had an interest in that, and and even though she thought, well, maybe he'll never do anything with this, he really loves this. She encouraged me, and she would let me step and watch those programs. Um, And, of course, then I went, you know, off to college, and I got my degree. And I was recruited out of college by a, a Texas instruments. And I worked in their consumer products division on their consumer products. And, uh, you know, comedy was still out there. And eventually when I was here in, in Texas, I, I went up and started to do stand up open mic nights. And that eventually led to improv. But I look back at that moment with my mom and she saw that I had been bitten by the comedy bug. She sort of nurtured and encouraged me you know, to, to investigate it or listen to it or to participate in it. Uh, that was kind of my thing. And then years later, um, it led to all this, all this stuff that I've done. And yeah, I have thanked my mom profusely for being that parent, the parent that uh, encouraged me. And when I decided to leave corporate America to go to comedy. My mom said, you know, she was very encouraging and said, whatever makes you happy. And what, what was a really cool moment was, you know, when our book was published at the end of last year, Happy Accident, I was able to, you know, handwrite a nice note in there um, because the book is based on the improv philosophy of Yes End. And I thanked her for being a, a really great mom and for being the first and best Yes End person uh, that I ever met. So it was kind of a cool full circle thing with my mom there, giving her, you know, this, this book with a personalized note in it. And this book is based on, you know, our career um, as, as improv comedians with four day weekend. So yeah, uh, that was a pivotal moment in my childhood uh, because I felt, wow, you know, yeah, I'm not getting punished for this. My mom's encouraging this. And then years later I was able to pursue it professionally. So I I, I owed Great debt of gratitude to my mother for that.
0: It's interesting because you mentioned you kinda negotiated with your mom to listen to the Steve Martin <laughs> yeah. In a way you that was kind of you developing your improv skill <laughs> in early age too.
1: You know what? I never thought about it that way, but you're right. I was learning uh improvisation as a kid on the fly. Yeah. And fortunately it worked. You know, if I'd have been punished or grounded, well who knows, you know? Right. I'd be an accountant today. I don't know, but but yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And it it it's always helps when you have, you know, a parent that you know, is that supportive. And I, I think what happened was she saw how passionate you were. Yeah, because passion is infectious in a way, because it, when when you feel someone's passion, whether it's, you know, like you with comedy or someone with film or television or theater acting, whatever it may be, it, it kind of is inspiring in its own way. Like when you hear someone talk about how passionate they are about something, you know, to me, the default nature or reaction is you want that person to succeed because you can see how much, you know, it makes them happy. Yeah.
1: There's no doubt. You know, at 40, we talk about that all the time. You know, we hire for attitude. uh, And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can teach people, but one thing you cannot instill in someone or, or you cannot teach them is, how to be passionate about something, either you are or you are not. And, and yeah, it is infectious. You know, we'll have a lot of our corporate clients or fans, uh, they'll say, gosh, you guys look like you're having such a good time, or you guys are so passionate when you talk about this. And, and and that is true. You know, people can, you know, like people can smell fear. They can also, they also know when you're being authentic uh, about, you know, being passionate about something. It's, it's, you can't fake it, you know, and, and, and we are all, uh, at 40 Weekend. Very, very passionate about comedy, making people laugh. We feel we're doing, you know, the public a service by healing through laughter. And, and then, of course, yeah, the yes and philosophy. So we truly are passionate about it. Yeah, I think you're right. My mom saw that I was very, very passionate about uh, comedy. And, you know, she helped, uh, you know, nurture me and and, and, and help me along, you know, to uh, to watch it and read about it and do that stuff. She never she never took that away from me. She she understood that that was something that that I love.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's really really cool. Um, real quick before we jump into four day weekend, I do have to ask: as someone who's done improv and stand up, do you find one to be more difficult than the other?
1: Oh boy, you, you know, <laughs> what is the old saying? Dying is easy, comedy is hard. Um, you know, I I <laughs> I think look, they're they're both any type of comedy is hard to get into. You know, the stand-up comedian, um, you, you know, you're a monologist. You're on your own. It's about you, right? So, so you know, you get all the credit uh, and you take all the blame. And, and, and that's a tough gig because, you know, you're working on your stuff. And, yes, you have other stand-up comedians to kind of bounce ideas off of and, and who may or may not help you. But, but you're really, it's kind of a solo act. And, 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 you know, you live and die by your set, your comedy set. Um, whereas improv, although it's still hard to learn and do that stuff, you're part of a team. It's a collaboration. So, so we all succeed. We all fail. And between the two for me, I, I was much happier and much more comfortable in a, in a group or team environment. I, I like working with, with other people, um, you know, but, but right. in either case, you know, you, you are, you're subjected to, uh, you know, the, 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 the laughter and cheers and applause of an audience or, or, or the groans of an audience, you know, or the silence of an audience in either case. So, you know, it is hard uh, in that respect for either stand-up or improv Because you're putting yourself out there as a performer, as an artist. And like in stand-up, even with improv, you know, there's something, you know, uh, that's referred to as truth in comedy. Well, you know, you're always bringing a part of yourself uh, in in greater uh, or lesser degrees to your performance. So, you know, when when you do that in comedy, you're exposing yourself to a degree and there's a vulnerability associated with that. And, you know, someone who's exposing a vulnerable part of themselves runs the risk of uh, someone trampling on that vulnerability. And, and when they do that hurts, um, but it's a necessary part of comedy because it's the common and universal link that binds us all. It's the humanity that binds us all. You just happen to be the one sort of exposing yourself and talking about it uh, from your experiences through your lens. But people can always relate to it because we all go through the same same ups and same downs. You know what I mean? So they're both hard.
0: Right. But, but right. I, I've heard the same thing about... Oh, go ahead. No, no exceptionally rewarding, though. Don't get me
1: wrong. It's, it's all worth it. But yeah, every uh, improv comedian or stand-up has their, uh, you know horrible <laughs> stage story, right? And everyone's like, Oh god, I remember this night that did not go well. But in the end, if you stick with it, you understand that that's just all part of it and, and then it's it's beyond. It's it's really rewarding. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you gonna say?
0: Oh no, I was just actually gonna say, um yeah, I recently had um I did a, a cool feature here in town, uh focusing on uh female comedians oh, in our cool. area. And yeah. had a com- we had a combination of you know stand up and improv, and they all said the exact same thing that you did. You know that it's they both have you know like with improv you have the advantage of playing off of other people, whereas stand up you're kind of left to your own vices. That's right. But with that you kind of get to prepare more, so it's it's cool hearing you say the exact same thing that they did. Yeah, you, you know, and
1: what's interesting though too, both in improv and in stand up, you know, I had really good. Uh, people that sort of mentored me. Um, I'll never forget, you know, one of the stand-up clubs here, and it's a great one, is uh, um, the Backdoor Comedy Club, and it's owned by Jan and Linda Sogner. And I remember uh, there was a night I finally worked my way up to MC, and it was open mic night. And it just happened to be a night where it was a room full of comedians, like no patrons had come in. I can't remember if it was a weather thing or, or what it was. And I, I said to her, I said, uh, hey, do I need to tell the other comedians, you know, that, you know, maybe we're not going to go up tonight because we don't have any, any uh, there's nobody, no customers here. And uh, She said, what? No, no, we, we have a stage and a, and a, and a microphone. Get, get up there. This, this is, take your stage time. <laughs> and, and, and that, I, I got to tell you, that, that lesson, and that came from stand-up, that lesson from stand-up carried over to improv and my business uh, with Four Day Weekend because she was 100% right. It's like, what am I talking about? I have an open stage where I can work out uh, You know, because I don't care how many books you read, how many classes you take. Your greatest teacher is the stage. That's it. That's where you're going to learn the most. Uh, and, and, man, I never – I don't care. It taught me that I don't care if there were five people at our show or 205 people at our show. You get up there and you do the best job that you can. And and it was a valuable, valuable lesson. So I was fortunate enough to have people like Linda and, say, Marty DeMott uh, from the Second City in Chicago, uh, these teachers, these people who who were great mentors to me just in comedy in general and and taught me uh, lessons like that it was great
0: that's fantastic yeah before we continue this really fun conversation with frank ford i have to remind you that for you the listeners of the Derek diamond experience podcast audible is offering a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service kind of going on with the whole theme i was talking about in the intro with happy accidents Another book that I would recommend is "No" is a Four-Letter Word, How I Failed in Spelling but Succeeded in Life by Chris Jericho. I'm a huge Chris Jericho fan. Been following his wrestling career since the late 90s. Uh, this is his fourth book, I believe, that he's written. But it's more of like a motivational, uh, positive thinking type book because it deals with different principles that he's learned from different people that he's met in life and how he's used those principles to succeed, so it's definitely worth the listen. Um, I it's not a very long book; it's maybe five and a half hours long, maybe a little bit more than that. But it's definitely worth listening to. And Chris Jericho himself narrates it, and he's a great personality, really engaging as far as speaking goes. So you'll definitely enjoy it. I know I got a lot out of the book, and I definitely recommend that. But they also have other books like Star Wars. They have books on gaming from Halo, Gears of War, Mass Effect, fiction, nonfiction, autobiographies, mystery, romance. Any book you can think of, Audible has. And if you're always on the go like I am, Audible is a great way to be able to continue to read books without having to sit down and read a physical book. And to do that, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. So let's talk about Four Day Weekend. Can you tell us what is it and how did Four Day Weekend come about? Well,
1: all right. So Four Day Weekend Comedy is an improvisational comedy show. And uh, we're in the Metroplex. And the Metroplex in Texas is Dallas-Fort Worth, basically. Uh, And everything in between. Everything in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And so, you know, in 1997, um, you know, we were coming off, you know, the the founding members uh, are are Troy Grant, uh, David Ahern, David Wilk, uh, and myself. And at the time, um, I was coming off uh, classes from the conservatory at the Second City. Troy had also been up to Chicago as well as David Wilk. And when we got through the conservatory, we saw some great performers. When I was coming up through the conservatory, and, and Troy and Dave were coming up to the conservatory, we saw great performers uh, on the main stage. Uh, we saw Tina Fey, uh, Rachel Dratch, Scott Adsit, uh, you know, Kevin Dorff amongst others. Uh, and then Mick Napier was directing this review called Pinata Full of Bees, which is legendary in Chicago. So we were there during this really golden era. Uh, and we were so inspired by that that when we were all back in Dallas, um, we said, you know, there's really not a stage or a show or a venue. Um, that does a show the way we would want to do it. We wanted to bring some of our flavor to improvisation and what we learned. And there was just really nothing here um, that, that we wanted to be part of um, that, that was, you know, in line with our tastes. So we all got together and we said, well, why don't we, let's, let's create our, our own thing. Why don't we just do that? And so we started looking around, you know, and in doubt at the time, in 1997, you know, Dallas was where all the comedy was at, whether it was improv or stand-up. And at that time, it was mostly stand-up because this is pre-Whose Line Is It Anyway? This is pre-UCB. This is, you know, the people, uh, improv at that time, especially here, was still kind of the red-headed stepchild of comedy. Now, it's much more prominent. People know about the Groundlings in the Second City and Improv Olympic, and the Upright Citizens Brigade and on and on and on. But back then, uh, people knew stand-up. They really didn't know improv. So we were looking for a space, looking around Dallas and, uh, you know, found a couple of things. And then Troy Grant said, uh, hey, you know, maybe we ought to check out Fort Worth. Well, you know, Fort Worth is like 35, 40 miles west of Dallas. And, and so when you go to Fort Worth and, and they have a lot of great cultural things there, you know, museums and um, um, botanical gardens and restaurants, it's, it's, it's a great, great city. But if you live in Dallas, you don't get out to Fort Worth that much. You know, you kind of just hang in your hood and, you know, do your thing. But we said, you know what, let's let's yeah, let's go check it out, you know, at his request. So we all got in a car carpooled, got on 30 West and drove out to Fort Worth. And it was on a Wednesday night, by the way. Well, we get down to Sundance Square, which is the center of downtown Fort Worth, and it was alive. There were people everywhere. And we were blown away because downtown Dallas, uh, because Dallas is so spread out, it's not like that. Like, like, there wasn't a concentration of things to do in restaurants and venues and theaters in downtown Dallas. You know, we always say that, you know, if, if, if you're in downtown Dallas after ten o'clock, you've missed your Greyhound bus, right? So you, there's no other reason for you to be down there. Um, and, right. And, and, but Fort Worth was alive, and that's where we came upon Cops on the Square, and and they were uh, it's a hundred seat theater, and they had a, a musical there, a long running musical, great musical, Forever plat And uh, we met the uh, uh, the theater manager Michael Hendricks, and uh, we said, Hey, we're a group from dallas we're looking for a, a space and place to perform and he's like oh okay well i've never heard of you go, well, yeah because we haven't done a show yet <laughs> so so he, he liked this enough he said okay i'll tell you what you can go on after forever Platt at 11 o'clock uh we'll give you six weeks let's see what happens and that all of that was the beginning of four day weekend and we were there for just six weeks. We had no idea that six weeks would turn into six months, six months would turn into six years and six years would turn into 20 and still counting. You know, we're coming up on our 21st anniversary. Uh, So that was another thing that, that helped us was Mike Hendricks gave a bunch of unknowns a chance and a start. And it was at 11 o'clock. And the TCU student body, you know, they would come out at that hour and they supported us and kind of got us through that first year until we were popular enough and grew enough to move into our current location in Fort Worth, which is a 212-seat theater. We've been there ever since and never stopped. And that's why we credit the city of Fort Worth, because it was, it was the mayor, Mayor Mike Moncrief and, and Rosie, who, who supported us. It was Ed Bass. Um, who owns a lot of the buildings down there? It, it, it's Betsy Price, the, the, the current mayor. Um, the student body of TCU, the faculty from TCU, and, and and people like Mike Hendricks. The city of Fort Worth in general really embraced us, and we brought improv comedy to Fort Worth. And, and they had not; they had had up but not improv comedy. So, uh, and ever, they, they, it's just it's been a great run, and, and the city itself is a huge part of why we're here today and still around. We always credit Fort Worth with our success, that it was a great city to start a comedy show in.
0: Because it grew up around us. That's awesome. Yeah, it grew up around us. And the fact that you guys have, you know, had this thing going for so long, that's, anytime, you know, I hear a story of, you know, they've been, you know, whoever's been doing, like in your case, this improv group for, as long as you guys have, you know, longevity is a really impressive thing. And I I just (laughs) want to say, you know, congratulations on that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, yeah, 20 years, you know, when you, if you would have shown us the, uh, the Census Bureau statistics of businesses that started in 1997, uh, there's a precipitous precipitous drop-off after year one, much less three years or, or five years. And it was funny because, um, one of the people that we worked with on our book, uh, Jonas Koffler, um, he said to me, he, he said uh, something that at first I, I thought, oh, that's, that, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but he was 100% right. He said, uh, he goes, wow, you guys had to be a little bit delusional to think you could do this. And and he's right. You know, we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And, and we were naive. And, and, and to think that we could start an improv comedy show at 11 o'clock at night, uh, you know, we'd get there at six and hand out flyers and, and build an audience big enough to move to a bigger theater and, and lead to all the stuff that we've, we've done. If, if you would have shown me those statistics and said, well, this is what you can do, I, I would have thought you were crazy. But because we didn't know that, we didn't know what the failure rate of new businesses starting in 1997 was, we were just delusional and naive enough to think you know what we can pull this off <laughs> so and here we are right so he's right you got you got to be a little delusional <laughs> to be an entrepreneur i guess
0: but hey whatever works right
1: <laughs> whatever works that's right
0: <laughs> so let's talk about your book uh, happy accidents the transformative power of yes and at work and in life uh, what was what made you decide to to write a book about the yes and philosophy?
1: Okay, so the impetus or catalyst for us writing the book was a lot of people have come through four day weekend in our training center, and they take classes to learn about improvisation and they perform um, improv shows, showcases, and then they you know they do house teams and all that good stuff. But also we developed a keynote and, and our, we would teach this, we would have workshops and keynotes, yes end keynotes and workshops for our corporate clients. So between the students and the corporate clients, and it was really the corporate clients, a lot of, uh, we work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies and we would get a lot of people uh, that was in management or at the executive level or in the leadership positions at those companies say to us, man, you know, this, this is such a great thing and you've really helped out our group, our company, you you guys ought to get this message out there uh, to other people. And we kept hearing it and kept hearing it and kept hearing it. And and, and then then there was discussion, you guys should write a book. You You should write a book about all this. And then, yeah, about three years ago, we said, you know what? We want to share this information, this knowledge, this success that we've had with other people. Maybe we should write a book to reach an audience, a bigger audience that can't make it to a show in Fort Worth, you know, or they didn't book us or hire us for a corporate gig. And, and that really was the thing that sort of tipped the scales uh, for us in regards to writing the, the book. And it was to get this Yes and message out there because the positive message of Yes and really has started resonating. Like, like, you know, people are really – listening to that and trying to gravitate towards it because, you know, it, it's, it's listed as a business book. Uh, and within the business book, we use words like empathy, uh, which is unusual for a business book. But we do that because the yes and philosophy incorporates all those aspects of the human condition that we are hardwired to be and to feel and to do. You know, we want to collaborate. We want to help each other. Uh, we want to be empathetic. We want to make each other look good. Um, all of that Machiavellian business stuff—when you uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world—you you stab people in the back to get ahead. You step on whoever you need to step on to climb the corporate ladder of success. That is not who we're hardwired to be. That is learned behavior. That that is absolutely learned behavior. And what? we do is we're, we're tapping into that part of the human condition the human spirit uh that is much more loving and empathetic and, and that really resonated so in order to get that message out to a larger group of people the book was the best way to go for us
0: and i i definitely can't wait to read it um i do have a copy and um you know, I've, I've read a little bit of it, and so far I'm really liking it, so Good. I, I can't wait to finish it.
1: Oh, I can't wait to hear your feedback on it. That's another thing, too, by the way, is that we approach uh, life as, as, as students. You know, we're, we're forever students, so anytime somebody adds feedback, well, we always have something to learn, and I would love to, to hear your feedback when you're done with it. It'd be great.
0: No, absolutely, for sure. A um, couple more questions. Uh, do you have any um, website or social media that you'd like to plug?
1: Uh, you bet. Yeah, you can uh, check out uh, Four Day Weekend and, and uh, some of our videos and, and, and show times if you go to fourdayweekend.com, and it's F O U R, spelled out, fourdayweekend.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, and if you're interested in buying a copy of uh, Happy Accidents, the transformative power of Yes and at Working in Life, you can go to Amazon.com or our website, either one.
0: Last question. I always have to ask, you know, comedians or actors, anything, you know, dealing with entertainment. What's the funniest incident that you've had during an improv show? <laughs> it can be something that went really right, something that went really wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all
1: right. So here, here's one of the things that we do in the show is called post-it notes or, and we call it what's on the audience's mind. So what people do is right. they'll write down suggestions on, on the sticky side of the Post-it note, put it to a board, and we randomly pick it and read it. Uh, and, and and then we'll just create a scene or song based on that suggestion. Well, our audience knows that we try to do a clean show. You know, at, it, it, at, at the worst, it gets the PG maybe, but but it's always clean and fun, right? So, so they always right. try to slip something past the censors, so to speak, in our show, because they know that that's what we do. So a lot of people try to write down euphemisms or they'll be clever with their suggestions to see if they can slip in a dirty suggestion. So I'm going to tell you one that somebody slipped by us. And we were on the sidelines listening to um, our host, David Ahern, read this. And I'm going to spell it out for you. And, and this, but But you'll hear what we heard. But this is what he was reading. So he was reading the post-it note, it said "my my," and then it had the word uh, like Dixie, like uh, you know Dixiecrat. It was uh, D-I-X-I-E. Uh, so so it was my Dixie, and then they had like car wreck, W-R-E-C-K-E-D. Now put. Oh
0: no! <laughs> now say those... and he read it just straightforward, didn't he? Yeah, he
1: did absolutely yeah he, so put those three words together so we're on the sidelines and we hear him saying it like oh, what dave what are you doing like what? He's like what what i'm just reading this thing and it took us to take it and the audience is howling because they he doesn't understand he look he can't he doesn't compute he's not like well what what i'm just reading these three words while well, we we read it to him <laughs> And oh my, he turned beat red because it was just, he couldn't believe that somebody had slipped one past the sensors. And then we as the group turned to the audience and we said, all right, whoever did it, well done. Bravo. You got it. Good for you.
0: That's too good. It's too good. That is too good. Uh, That's awesome. It was great. Oh, man. Well, on that note, uh, Frank, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this awesome interview. I look forward to finishing Happy Accidents. And uh, good luck with 4-Day Weekend. If I'm ever in the Fort Worth area, I'll have to check you guys out.
1: You bet, my friend. I will roll out the red carpet for you. Seriously, if you ever come this way. uh, By the way, very quickly, we're opening up a new theater uh, February 3rd in Dallas. So we're going to have 4-Day Weekend West, the one in Fort Worth, the original, and then 4-Day Weekend East in Dallas now. So we have two theaters. If you're ever in Dallas or Fort Worth, you let me know, and I'll have tickets waiting for you at the door. You'll, You'll love it. It'll be a great show, and I'd love to meet you in person.
0: Absolutely, and congratulations on opening the new location. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we're we're excited about it. Thanks again to Frank Ford for coming on the show and talking four-day weekend comedy and his book, Happy Accidents. Just a really fun conversation to have. I know if I'm ever in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I really want to check out one of four-day weekend shows. Be sure to follow them on social media and find out when they'll be performing next. But speaking of shows, I've got two live shows coming up this week. On Wednesday, January 31st, I'll be doing a preview of Super Bowl 52 and a recap of the 2017 NFL season with my good friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. Adam, Ian, Joey, Luke, all four of them will be here to talk NFL. And on Friday, February 2nd, I'll be highlighting the film Cornbread Cosa Nostra, which was shot recently out in Mississippi. I'll be chatting with Travis Mills, the director, and several cast members about their experiences on the film uh, why shooting local films and using local talent is important. You know, film's a big deal to me, especially those that are made locally. So really looking forward to that. That will be uh, at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, and the Super Bowl show will be at 7 p.m. Both those shows will be on facebook.com slash ddiamondpodcast, and you can go to the Facebook page and find out more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. Check out past episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all podcasting platforms. And I believe that'll do it. So thank you for listening to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here on Thursday. network production